Like J. Lou Jensen Lewis at J. Lou 50 via Twitter. Uh, he works with Bally Sports Great Lakes and part of Cleveland Guardians Live. And uh, the former pitcher for said tribe, 07 to uh, 2010, he joins us now. Uh, Jensen, I just said former pitcher for said tribe. Uh, are you okay with me saying that? <laughs> yes, yes, PA. Great to be back with you. It's been too long, my friend. Uh, it was uh, everyone here is still still working on it too. So by the end of the year, everybody will have it down pat. I, I saw it on your Twitter, so I'm like, hey, if Jay Lou's <laughs> cool to have it on his Twitter, then I'm cool <laughs> to say it. And by the way, with all due respect, you know, with the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians, you know, back to to Jolton Joe Carbono or or uh, or or back, you know, back throughout the lineage. Of uh, of Cleveland baseball, man. I mean that 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 counts too, despite it being the name. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You kind of how Paul Dolan had put it, the team owner here for the Guardians, and said, you know, we we're we're not forgetting what happened over a hundred plus years as the Indians. That will always be there. Uh, that is history that we cherish and we honor. And now this is just a new era moving forward. So uh, proud to have worn the uniform, my man, and. Uh, I tell you what, I, I wish I could strap it back on for this series starting tonight up there in Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, it, it would give you an opportunity to be a new school Bob Feller, maybe Mel <laughs> Harder, uh, Gay, Gaylord Perry with the Vaseline. I mean, it's uh, the op the the opportunities are boundless for you, Jensen Lewis, right? Yes, they are. I uh, I would not be able to go back to back appearances though. I think <laughs> I would need a day or two off. So when did, whenever they were going to use me, you'd have to use me for one night, and that's it. Uh, J. Lou, these uh, these guardians. Okay, I mean Manny Ramirez is one of the great Cleveland baseball players in the history of said team. This this Jose Ramirez. I mean now with the steals, Jose Ramirez is the bomb every single year. No matter who hits around him, how does he do it? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the, the great and fascinating narratives of this year, PA, is that he, he started on a historic streak of these RBIs, and the team record uh, is held by Manny Ramirez for a single season back in 1999 with 165. At one point, you know, Hosey was on pace for about 175, 180 RBIs. Just, just mind-boggling to even think about that, yet say out loud. And for him, you know, he's, he, for whether it be the left side or right side of the plate, he's been about as, as similar, uh, as any switch hitter, uh, that we've had in history. And I think for, for this series, you know, and, and probably moving forward, uh, we're supposed to get news on an MRI he had on his thumb. He was out for the last couple of days of that Los Angeles Dodgers series. Uh, they said it was precautionary. So we're, we're kind of holding our breath and hoping that it's going to be okay. But I think the idea of, of pitching around him is probably going to be uh, a bit more realized, uh, I would say, not only in this series, but probably uh, as we move forward. Because uh, in any run-scoring situation, uh, he's been it, – it's just remarkable, P.A., what he's been able to do, plate appearance to plate appearance. Right. So, so I mean, I, I haven't looked at the injury situation that closely. I mean, if you were to bet, and I know you have a gambling bent, would, would you would – you... Think Jose's going to play any in this series, or probably not? 
Yeah, I would say 60-40. Uh, we would have probably gotten word now if it was something significant. So, uh, barring anything unforeseen, uh, you know, he, he had told Terry Francona that he, he wanted to play on Saturday and Sunday, and, and they thought it best with the off day coming uh, yesterday that, that they might be able to string a couple of days together and, and keep him uh, out of the lineup just to allow that thumb to heal up. He'd been playing with a bruise for about 10 days, and, and then they just said, you know what? Uh, ironically, with Mookie Betts uh, getting scratched a couple of days, and then they do an MRI and find out he's got a cracked rib. Mm. Uh, they didn't. They didn't want to have anything further happen to Hosey without understanding what's really going on. So, as a as a betting man, I would say uh, better than fifty fifty that he plays in this series. Uh, Jensen Lewis at J Lou fifty F I F T Y. Spell out the word fifty. It's J Lou. Uh, Twins fans may remember Jensen from a couple of years ago when we were in a superheated battle with Cleveland in the American League Central, and there was a defining moment somewhere late in the season where you like went on Twitter and and went at Twins fans, and it was like <laughs> objects in your mirror closer than you appear, or like we just passed you on the side and we ain't looking back. And then, like three weeks later, it flipped, and the Twins passed Cleveland and never looked back, and. Man, that uh, that was fun. It was a little chaotic, but it was fun, wasn't it? It was, buddy. Uh, I thought we were going to come close to uh, having a friendly wager for Cleveland Indians charities or, or Minnesota Twins charities on Man. on who ended up winning the division. But yeah, uh, yeah the the old buy Twins tweet. Uh, yeah. it, it was. Uh, I, I think it endeared me to Twins fans. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that that was a fun race for sure. Right. Well, the, these charitable wagers I've made of late on radio with uh, with with broadcasters. Uh, I just cut a check to St. Jude's for $1,000 involving <laughs> the Wolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. So I'm probably going to go ahead and not that I'm against giving to charity because I do it all the time. I'm not against that, but I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and let the dust settle for a little bit. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we can consider this in like August or September because, I mean, you get Aaron Savali coming, uh, pitching this evening off a layoff of about a month. You got Bieber. Bieber's the bomb. This this Tristan McKenzie, who the hell is he? Yeah, T-Mac has been uh, really a godsend for this rotation this year, PA. Uh, one of the top prospects uh, a few years back and and really burst on the scene a couple of years ago. Last year, very interesting season because uh, in the first half, it was a roller coaster ride. I mean, there'd be outings where he'd be utterly dominant, and then there'd be outings where he couldn't get out of the first inning and he'd walk the bases loaded, and, and then all hell broke loose. So... I think for him this year, the difference to me, uh, he has really been able to make adjustments batter to batter, and he has not allowed the big inning to really spiral out of control, and, and he's had a few and far between. I, I want to say that he's entering uh, this week with the lowest average against of qualified starting pitchers, or he's at least in the top three in that. So his swing and miss ability, I, I think, has really elevated him. Uh, his fastball-curveball combination, one of the best in the game. But, yeah, I, I, as you mentioned, Aaron Savali – Coming back off the IEL, again, uh, uh, not confirmed yet, but all signs point to him being activated and making the start tonight. I, I think for Aaron, it's, it, he got hit around so hard, PA. I mean, there's right. a lot of, a lot of exit velocity, uh, off him. So this, this time around, it sounds like he's gotten his, his cut fastball back tonight. I think you'll see a bunch of that tonight. The overhand curveball, I think you'll see as well, especially to the righties. And we'll see what he does. It's going to be an action packed start for him and, uh, a lot of adrenaline, I'm sure, for a showdown series. J. Lou, your squad just meatloaf the Dodgers. What's meatloaf? Two out of three ain't bad, and did so at Chavez Ravine. I mean, that's a that's a big weekend for Cleveland. 
not only that, PA, but as I said, they didn't have Jose Ramirez for two of those games. Uh, not, they didn't have him Saturday, and they didn't have him Sunday. Um, but I, I think this is a young group. Again, it's the youngest group in Major League Baseball as far as the active roster is concerned. But you've got a lot of kids that have, have really jumped on the scene here, most notably Stephen Kwan. Uh, beginning of the season, uh, he was on base. It felt like every plate appearance. Owen Miller has been really solid. Andre Jimenez is not getting enough love. Uh, at second base there. I, I know you guys would lose your eyes. Uh, uh, he's going to be an all-star. We know that. But I think Andreas deserves that credit for what he's been able to put up statistically. And then they got this young kid, Oscar Gonzalez, who you'll see tonight just hit his first big league homer on Sunday as a game-tying solo shot in the fifth inning. I think he's a guy that, that now will start to get comfortable and, and has really swung the bat well. The big thing you're going to see, P.A., th- this group does not strike out. I mean, they have one of the lowest swing and miss percentages in Major League Baseball, and that has put a lot of pressure on opposing pitching staff. Uh, uh, Jensen Lewis, former uh, Cleveland Indians pitcher uh, from 07 to 2010, at JLU50, F-I-F-T-Y via Twitter. Follow him as 9 to noon does, and... And, uh, you know, then, then you get into high leverage situations at the end, and hopefully I don't butcher this name, but, uh, 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 Colossi or, or Colossi, uh, Emmanuel, the, the guy with all the saves. How do you say his last name? Yeah, Emmanuel Colossi. Yeah, yeah, he's been utterly unhittable at this right. point. A 101 mile an hour cutter, a 92 mile an hour slider. Just, to, I mean, you got to almost, uh, premeditate when you're going to swing because it, it really has been. Uh, phenomenal what he's been able to do here in the month of June. So, I mean, you know, here we are talking about all this, and, and you know, Polanco's a little nicked up here now, but when 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 they get a rise, who's proven to be the best contact hitter in baseball, at least a, as of now, you got him, you got the, the five-tool cap Buxton, Correa with the World Series cred, uh, Kepler's coming up with some big moments, and, and Polanco, you got those five right there, that's legit, and they can score and they can run. It's a very athletic bunch. But uh, and then everything you just laid out for specifically when Jose Ramirez is happy and healthy, and then you watch like the Yankees, man. I mean, Garrett Cole wins four two last night at Tampa. They just swept Tampa. I think the Rays had won ten in a row at home. It, that that's kind of a vicious rivalry, even though a lot of blue hairs relocate to Tampa St. Pete. So the crowd last night was super loud in favor of the Yankees. And 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 then you're watching Rizzo, you know Anthony Rizzo, and and he's new and. Joey Gallo's average is terrible, and his analytics are terrible, and he still plays, but he's Joey Gallo. And then, of course, Judge and Stanton and DJ LeMayhew. It's just unbelievable what they're able to do, and and they execute all options and all resources, and they're going to be a freaking handful, J. Lou. Yeah, P.A., I mean, I think the biggest surprise for for me this year has been the consistency of their rotation. I'm not sure any of us could have predicted what Nestor Cortez has put together, one of the great seasons so far of any starting pitcher. Uh, Luis Severino looks like pre-injury Luis Severino. Hell, I mean, Jordan Montgomery and Jamison Tyone have been <laughs> absolutely phenomenal for them. Uh, that rotation right now, uh, I, I believe they're, they're got the second-best rotation ERA in baseball, second-lowest hits allowed per nine, third-best strikeouts per nine, and they lead the league in least walks per nine and lowest whip. I mean, when you're limiting traffic the way that they are, mm. and then as you just laid out, that offense, um, I mean, Anthony Rizzo, uh, is basically a top 10 position player overall this year. Uh, and of course, you know what Judge has done in front of him, uh, betting on himself. But I think this is a group too that you're going to get a series against, uh, you know, the Rays uh, for the rest of the week, uh, excuse me, uh, today and tomorrow. And then you get Houston for four days. I, I think there's, there's going to come a time where they face some adversity, where they have an injury or two. 
let's see how they react after that. But for right now, I mean, you look at that division, PA, the Blue Jays are, are second, and they're nine games over 500, and they're 12 games back. Yeah. I mean, that, that is phenomenal what the Yankees have been able to do. Well, what do you think of the Twins, Jay Lou? I, I like your club, PA, and, and I'll say this. I, I drafted Byron Buxton in my fantasy uh, baseball league, and I'm, I'm very happy with the returns right now. He has been a one-man wrecking crew when he's been healthy. I think uh, Arise, uh, we, we've kind of known, uh, and you guys know this as well, uh, his bat control is is excellent, and it's it's not shocking at all what he's doing as far as uh, batting average, the leadoff spot, doing a, a lot of things on the bases. I think the resurgence of Kepler uh, and and also what Gary Sanchez has now started to do offensively those are those are two key bats for you guys moving forward. But the, the rotation, I, I mean, did you guys expect what was going to happen with Joe Ryan? I mean, we we knew that he was one of the great prospects you guys had, and he has turned in uh, quite a season thus far. Sonny G, we've known forever. Uh, with his days down in Cincinnati, he's always been an Indian killer. Uh, Smelter actually threw really well uh, against us uh, the last time we faced you. And then, you know, Bundy and, and the – how about Chris Archer coming back? I mean, uh, a little renaissance man himself there. So the rotation – in the back of your bullpen, that Duran kid is amazing. Wow. Uh, he just – you want to talk about throwing lightning bolts. That is that is pretty good stuff. And then I'll say Emilio Pagan and Griffin Jacks uh, and, and uh, my old teammate Joe Smith. I mean, you guys got a nice 4-5 there in the back of the pen to really shorten games and, and shut it down. So I love it, dude. I'm glad that both teams are playing well. I'm glad we're close, and, and I'm glad that, that both clubs have great DNA about them. There's a, there's a lot of cool layers to unpack with both squads. It's going to set up for really a, not only a fun series this week, but then we get five against you guys in four days next week when you guys come to Cleveland. Uh, lastly, football, uh, my guy Kevin Stefanski, um, is is he in the um, – are the Browns taking hits in your market – for this Deshaun Watson thing? <laughs> oh, my God, Def. Yeah, it is, uh, it's Groundhog Day uh, every day with the, uh, the talk about uh, you know, DW here <laughs> and, and where they're going to go. I mean, you've had the full gamut. You've had, oh, Jacoby Brissett's going to have to try and get us to a 500 record to, all right, you know, Watson will be suspended six games and then we'll be fine. Um, it, it, we're, I think we're just ready for it to be over. I, I think yeah, they had just released today that 20 of the 24 civil suits have been settled. So we're starting to get some closure to it. We're just waiting to see, you know, how long he's going to be suspended. But yeah, uh, Kevin is, God, I mean, for, for the resolve that he is, he has shown and, and how he's handled the situation. Uh, I mean, you know, it as well as anybody, he, he's such a good dude and, and he's really tried to handle this uh, as, as well as you possibly can. And, and then also try and get this group, which has high expectations to, to really perform in camp and, and keep the focus on football. If, um, uh, if the man, uh, not outside of football, back to baseball to close, I promise. If the constituent, if uh, the 702 Vegas or whomever, if they, if Trout and Otani are playing and they want to put a nine and a half on a game with the Angels who haven't hit for two and a half months, you know what to do from there, right? <laughs> yes, you sure do. Pound uh, that over, baby. Let's go. No, no, you tag that under. And I don't care if they're playing the Yankees or the Royals <laughs> who put six on them. Uh, if, they, if they want to put a nine and a half on an Angels game, uh, then go ahead and, and wave that white flag because you'll be hoisting it about midnight J. Lou time. <laughs> Later, brother. Hey, thanks so much, PA. We'll talk soon. Appreciate you. Uh, some Minnesota Vikings conversation when we return, but first. The fan and Hilltop Camper and RV want to put a grand in your hand with the National Cash Contest. All you got to do, go to KFAN.com, enter the keyword grand. The keyword is grand. Go to KFAN.com. My way. On the fan. Programming on the fan brought to you in part by Quick Trip. Yeah! <laughs> 
My sources tell me the learned football mind, Arif Hassan, who does uh, football writing for The Athletic and TheAthletic.com, recently posted some Minnesota Vikings-related position battles. Uh, So like Ben Gessling's uh, end of uh, minicamp story at the Star Tribune a couple of weeks ago, I purposely did not read it uh, to to, to just I'll, I'll move forward with with my complete thought. So I'm not uh, gravy training or having any other thought influence me uh, for better or for worse. And and with some of these position battles, we're going to look at offense today, then defense and special teams tomorrow. If you missed uh, the interview with Timberwolves head coach Chris Finch, you can podcast it later. It's Love Covenant on Demand. Uh, but we're going to start playing that bad boy back about uh, 10, 15 minutes from now. B-E-D. Vikes Bites. Yeah, I don't know. And, and Arif, who does fantastic work for The Athletic, by the way, Arif Hassan, theathletic.com. You can read the same piece I have in front of me. I don't know if he was just kind of, he was waiting to hop on a plane or if they just had a, like an extra 20 minutes to kill. Cause this has to be the shortest piece he's ever written for The Athletic. And it's still like 5,000 words. But it is a talker and a topic for the Minnesota Vikings as they get closer uh, to training camp in the 2022 season is trying to identify certain position battles. Now, we're going to stick with a couple on the offensive side of the ball today, and maybe we'll analyze the defense. There's a couple of special teams nuggets that Arif included as well. But I want to start right here, first and foremost. Vikes Bites. It's the question I bet you've gotten a ton, we've talked about a ton, everybody's all over it. Who the hell is going to play right guard? And here's what Arif says. There's a lot of real ambiguity at that spot, as he noted. The Vikings have moved last year's right guard Ole Udo back to tackle. Will he'll serve as swing depth? He'll functionally be playing that role that Rashad Hill played on the offense for a number of years. So a right guard, some of the names that we know, P.A., Former Dolphins guard tackle Jesse Davis, Colts reserve Chris Reed, and then the rookie from LSU, the Tiger. His name is Ed Ingram. And so early in the spring, Arif says, the Vikings seemingly rotated Davis and Reed in with the first team. And as we've discussed several times, the idea that Jesse Davis, he might be the name at this stage if you wanted some spring-slash-early-summer rankings, watch out for Jesse Davis. But as organized team activities progressed, it seemed like only Davis was indeed working with the ones. This has left Reed as a second-team guard along with Ingram. Correct. Now, here's where things get juicy, P.A. Mm -hmm. Arif says, it is unlikely, though, that Davis has won the job. The Vikings have put all their rookies in backup roles while the veterans take on starting jobs. So that reps early in the offseason run smoothly. It would be frustrating to continuously waste practice reps because a rookie hasn't learned his his assignment. So instead, expect Davis and Ingram to compete for the role once training camp starts with the possibility of spot appearances by Reed. Still, if we were to pencil in a starter now for week one, he is in alignment with you. It'd probably be Davis. Yeah, it's um, it's he's in he's in lockstep with exactly. What I shared two or three weeks ago, nine to noon, and it's not like Arif gets his takes from me because he doesn't. Likewise, vice versa. But that's my my intel is exactly that. And and as as I as I shared, you know, whenever when whenever I did uh, did it that Monday, it's the 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 maddening and, and the sadness 
of the situation, if, if football actually causes sadness for you, is that Wyatt Davis, the third-round pick from 2020, is, again, not part of the equation. Yeah, I didn't see him actually included in here. Uh, it was uh, Jesse Davis only. Yeah, where's Wyatt Davis in all this? So the former Dolphin um, is very strong. He's a lot bigger because I don't, I don't watch Miami, the Miami Moving Company. He's prohibitively favored to start against Green Bay, and, and I bet a lot on it. Now, the intel that I got at the, at the, the minicamp that, that I went to uh, from somebody, as I mentioned, who would know is Ingram's improving overnight. I mean, it's, it's really, really moving quickly from when I talked to the same person at organized team activities. So Arif nailed the exacta. It's Jesse into Ed. Why it's off the ticket? Let's move to the quarterback spot. Now at this stage, it's pretty obvious. Pa, the starting quarterback is settled. It's Kirk. Yes, sir. Let's go, Kirk. But at backup quarterback, Arif writes again. This is via theAthletic.com. You can follow Arif via Twitter as well, and follow all of his work. And it's super cheap and easy to do so. Join theAthletic.com. But from Arif's article, he notes, uh, at backup quarterback, the Vikings seem willing to entertain a genuine competition between, of course, Kellen Mond, last year's third-round pick, and then Sean Mannion. Now, I just want to stop right there before continuing. Didn't it, it, that has been one of the changes that I've felt over the last couple of months. And I don't know if it's real, if it's arbitrary, if it's just all just leading to the eventual inevitability, but the work that... Kellen Mond or the exposure and the activity and the reps he's getting, it sounds like it's more advanced or at least robust than maybe it was a year ago. Is that accurate? Um, or is it just springtime fodder? Yeah, so you, I would assume you're getting those vibes or however you put it. How are you getting them? Well, like, what's leading you to this is what I'm feeling and thinking? Well, I'm just hearing more about him. I mean, and part of it, maybe I'm just biased because how he was spoken of or not spoken of through the totality of 2021, where it feels like O'Connell and this group are going to try as hard as they possibly can just to figure out if the kid has a pulse. Yeah. And when you hear something yep. as polarizing or as maybe as jarring as the kid can't play, uh, why didn't you put it? Because I see him every day. When yeah. you hear that six, seven months ago, I see. And now you're hearing about the reps and the opportunities that he's been given. Maybe I'm just reading it incorrectly, but it feels like there is a possibility that he at least is getting a fair platform to show himself. Three weeks ago, they had what's the cat's name who used to play for the Packers? Played for the Chickens. Oh, it was uh, Brett Huntley. Yeah. Three weeks ago. Yeah, they had him. Next. <laughs> so at any rate, so far, Mannion has taken the bulk of the reps with the second-team offense. But he didn't take all of them. Mond was rotated in for many of those and had a couple of highlight throws that helped his case. Early throws in the spring tend to tell us very little about how a quarterback battle is going to progress. But it was nice to see growth over last year when it comes to Mond. In the sessions available to the media this year, he hit more of his throws. But... Hasn't blown anybody away with his performance. I, I hope Kellen is the backup. Okay, I really, really do. Uh, there are points of this offseason where, I mean, I honestly, if it was like, if it was a life or death situation and I had to be right, I'd bet he wouldn't be on the team. You know, if it was like off the team or on the team as the backup. Yeah. Um, why is Mannion here? 
Um, okay, so he's right-hand man to Kirk, and Kirk continues to get better every single season. I think that frustrates fans, though. The idea that when you speak of Sean Mann, you're, mm-hmm. you're not speaking of a guy that can come in and potentially win a game for Underst- you. Understood. You're speaking about a guy in that room. I, I even Understood. Got, and, I, and, it, and it's kind of, it, it's just, it's kind of a, it's, it's, what am I trying to? It's it's not a possibility, or it's not realistic, I should say. Yeah. But I've gotten talkbacks and emails as we've talked about this several times. The idea of, well, why don't we just pay him whatever his salary is? He can be a freaking coach. We don't need. We could, we could have whoever the backup hey, is, and he can just be a freaking quarterbacks coach. I, I am with that take. Okay, and and you know, and and we we have a very 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 small sample size with Sean in a tough situation. With a zero degree game against a rock star defense. Yeah. Mannion's back in, passes over the middle, incomplete. And a coach who was two weeks from getting fired. Correct. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration. Fair. If if Kellen's the backup, Sean's not on the team. If Sean's the backup, then we carry three quarterbacks on the active roster. And I'm negative ass on that. Same. It's a very perplexing situation. You know, with Kevin O'Connell as your coach, a former quarterback, play caller, your head coach is a play caller, and he's in lockstep with the quarterback. With all due respect to Sean, how much do you now need him when KOC is is fulfilling that role? Now, if Kirk has to miss a game for whatever the reason, how comfortable are you putting Kellen in? You can't be... You can't lack a comfortability using Kellen off what you saw last year when Kirk got bitten and didn't play. It's, it's, I'm not willing to wager on who the backup is right now, but if somebody gave me the right odds, I'd bet Kellen. Mm. And training camp's going to be fascinating to watch just to see how it develops. That was a, Vikes Bites. That was a great bit right there. Uh, more Vikes Bites tomorrow with uh, position matchups. Very compelling for June conversation. Same thing goes with Chris Finch, head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was on the radio show two and a half hours ago talking about the NBA draft and the NBA. If you missed it, don't leave. It's next. It's KMA. The fan. Chris Finch, coach of the Wolves, started the conversation uh, talking about his offseason, and uh, he's at peace. I think I'm at peace with the season. I, you know, we, we was, uh, it was a hard way to lose, um, you know, losing every game kind of the same. But when I started digging into it, I figured out, like, this is what happens at the highest level. You get exposed for your flaws, and we now know what we got to do to be better going forward. So that's a good thing. Are coaches truly ever at peace? I mean, even next to a lake or the Atlantic Ocean in Florida, reflecting, relaxing, I, it's just my experience that head head coaches rarely smell the roses and or find peace. Yeah, I mean, there's always things that are coming, you know, coming down the pike that you got to you know deal with, or things that pop up out of nowhere. Um, you know, we've been going through some pretty exciting changes here in our building with the arrival of Tim Connolly too, and so just trying to get in a groove with him and his new staff members and. It's been it's been a lot of fun, but to your point, it's you know, I I always say this like people say, what's the difference between being a head coach and assistant coach? And I said, well, the single biggest difference is summed up like this: as an assistant coach, I can go out to dinner with my family, my wife, my girlfriend, whatever it might be, and I can enjoy those two hours. But as a head coach, like I really can't. It's hard to be in the moment. You got so many things going on, so many things that are coming popping up on your phone. 
things you're thinking about, just lots of stuff you got to try to, you know, manage that's just uh, always kind of humming along in the background. Uh, uh, Connolly, you, you mentioned Tim Connolly, uh, and, and so Connolly and Gupta, I mean, that that's a respected pairing, league-wide respected. Um, I would imagine you guys are super excited to execute the plan Thursday night. Yeah, we are. We, you know, we don't, we don't have a true course mapped out yet. We got, like most teams, we have about 10, 12 different routes we could take based on, you know, different conversations and, um, you know, guys that may or may not be available at certain levels of the draft that we value. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, and, you know, the partnership between Tim and Sotch, um, is going to be strong and they have incredibly diverse but complementary skill sets. And that's what you look for in any leadership team. Uh, Chris, Chris, I'm guessing ending up with 19 and all four picks you currently have exactly where they are is akin yeah. to like 10 consecutive blackjacks. And and all your firing, all your firing is black chips. I mean, it's just probably not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. This, I mean, there's so many moving pieces in the draft. Um, you know, you, obviously, you got the unpredictability of what lies before you. Um, you know, things can change. Like a massive trade could move some picks around, right? Right before the thing happens, and then everybody's strategy shifts a little bit because. All of a sudden, people who you thought were going to not be there might be there. So you now get aggressive and you move up, or you you don't you don't like what's there and you move back. Um, um, it's an interesting draft this year, Paul. I think there's like, well, there's only 58 picks because there's two teams that have been penalized for tampering last summer, Ooh. and then you have four teams that don't have any picks, and I think there's 11 teams that don't have second round picks. Eesh. So you have a lot of capitals. Stocked up in a, you know in 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 half the league really two thirds of the league so you know teams will be looking to either move into some of those draft spots or buy in or you know move out of so it should be exciting how um, um uh, how important this offseason, uh, Chris for the Wolves is finding bench threes I think yeah we have to we got to find um continue to find like complementary pieces around you know our young core um you know those guys uh we you know we're going to I mean we need some defense too we need some rebounding um you know we need to need like some really good experienced two-way players that if you look at these teams now that are making these deep runs they have the experiences of like a an Otto Porter for example who does exactly what you you talk, talk about him. He can make threes, but he's also very reliable, and he plays both ends and can take a matchup that you need to, you know, shut down. Uh, Con- Connolly took Jamal Murray, Wancho, and Malik Beasley when you guys were together in Denver. Uh, did did you happen yeah. to, did you happen to see Wancho in the movie Hustle? Did a pretty good job. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's on the list of things to do. I'm gonna try to get to it this weekend. I mean, it's your guy, Anthony Edwards, is he kind of stole the show. I mean, you're like as a surrogate dad slash coach, you're kind of obligated to watch, right? <laughs> I am. I'm expecting Ant to be uh, pining for his Oscar nomination anytime yeah. soon now. Well, uh, as, a head, <laughs> as a head coach, that's the last thing you want, right? Is like somebody to have, <laughs> have their mind on the silver screen as you're trying to stop jaw or get by staff. 
Yeah. Another uh, another piece of information with regard. So my old boss and uh, Del Demps, who is a, the GM in uh, New Orleans, who's now here on our staff, and uh, Tim brought him in to join his new staff. He was the basketball consultant on that movie, mm. um, working with working with Adam Sandler to make sure they got all the basketball pieces right. So. We have a lot of connection to that movie in this organization right now. Chris Finch, coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, 9 to noon. Uh, the NBA draft is Thursday. The Wolves pick 19th in the first round. Then they have three picks currently in the second round. Um, are you guys getting a lot of trade calls, Chris? I think we get – I mean, we're not getting a ton. We're probably getting just the normal amount. People are just kicking the tires, you know, just calling around the league, see what's possible. Um you know, we we do have interest in some of our young players, but we don't have interest in trading them. So it kind of shuts the conversation down. If you guys desired a big, more defensively minded than what you currently have, is it easier yeah. to get that in the draft or via trade? It's probably easiest to get it in free agency right now. You know, kind of. You know, the bigs have fallen to the to the you know pot the minimum. Pile. There's a lot of experienced bigs out there that play for the vet minimum. Um, you know, you can get it in the draft. Most teams don't tra- don't tr- typically target need in the draft. They they take best player or highest upside. Um, but you could get it. The only thing is, you know, in the draft, um, you know, you're, you're looking at probably a year to a year to year and a half till they can really help you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in trade, it's, you know, it's crazy. You know, being a big in the league is tough these days. A defensive-minded big, I mean, everybody wants them. Nobody wants to trade them. But then when, but then somehow they all end up as vet minimums. So, because um, the league just tends, is tending and trending smaller. Yeah. But you still need, you still need size and still need, Rim protection. I mean, the I mean, you know better than us, man. But I mean, the Warriors just won the NBA title with Draymond Green playing center against a team that used Robert Williams, a true center, and and, and you know when he was completely healthy, he was impacting the series. Uh, then you play you play Memphis. They have a true center in Stephen Adams, but things got so dicey that they sat him. And and so like yeah. like, like I'm thinking about that Auburn kid. I think his name's Walker Kessler, like a true center. You know, protects the rim. I think he's seven one. I'm just wondering if, like, the day and age of that type of true center has gone by the wayside. Yeah, I think the. I think I don't believe so. I, I really don't. I think you know, there's always all sorts of trends in the league, but you know, rim protection is one of these things that people, when you don't have it, you desperately need it, and um, and and you know, yeah, you're susceptible to teams changing the complexion of the game on you by going small. Uh, but more and more of these guys are super skilled, uh, able to now step out and make shots. Um, you know, and I think that's where the evolution of the big man is going to go is be more of a, more of a five tool player. You know, we- Speaking of those warriors, uh, the dubs winning the championship and, and, you know, it's a weird question, but I mean, it, it, it happened with the way they handled winning the title. And, and quite honestly, it surprised me, but what, why do you think so many warriors after winning the title held that shoulder chip and played the, you doubted us card so tenaciously? Well, I believe it's, yeah. I mean, um, I think they actually, 
for the first time in their time together were severely doubted. I didn't don't think the league thought they were good enough. I thought for the league, you know, uh, for they got off to a great start and people were interested to see where it went. Uh, they had a lot of injuries. They're not the same players as they were several years ago uh, when they were, you know, all near their peaks. But they still have Steph, who I think is, you know, like I'm, I mean, the, the debate about Steph should be over in his pack. It, you know, possibly best point point guard ever, top five player in the league. All that stuff is he's just such a winning player. Yeah, um, you know, Clay is you know certainly not the player he was, but you couldn't expect him to be after two years out with those horrific injuries. And, um, and there was just a lot of doubt surrounding them. There just was. And I think, you know, they have a championship, they have championship DNA and nobody wants to be doubted when they're done nothing but win their whole life. Uh, and it was, it was kind of refreshing to see like how much this title meant to them um, because they had to go through so much more to get it. Yeah. Is is Steph Curry? I mean, you're 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 a scholar of the game, and the history matters to you. And we're about the same age, so I mean, you know, we 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 go back to like Kevin Grevy and World Be Free and Downtown Freddie Brown as as elite outside shooters before the three point line. Uh, is is Steph Curry the best shooter, the best true shooter in the history of the NBA? I believe so. I, it's just not. It's not just his, his, you know, shooting percentages or his form or every time he shoots it, you think it's going to go in or or any of that. So, like he he changed shot selection. <laughs> he's, he's changed like the you know how far out on the floor it's become acceptable to shoot, uh, and more and more you know players are doing this as a result of it, and they're shooting it at a pretty good clip. Like when you and I were growing up, all those were. Terrible shots. Like <laughs> you would get taken out of the league if we took those. Uh, taken out of the game if we took those shots. Like, right. in fact, we were told everything, you know, in our power to not take those shots. So he just changed the whole landscape of how we think about shooting, where we shoot from, when we shoot, how early we shoot, you know, how often we shoot, how many times in a row we shoot. Uh, Chris, Chris, time for two more. Chris Finch, coach of the Minnesota yeah. Timberwolves. Um, I, I know you're not at liberty to discuss uh, uh, rookies uh, directly by name and stuff like that. So uh, let me ask you this. Like up to 19 or around 19 or just say in the first round, Chris, where, where is the draft particularly strong? Uh, um, well, I'm, I'm not overly familiar with the draft. I've been playing catch-up over the last couple of weeks. I haven't studied these guys, but most people will tell you that it's actually pretty strong all the way through to the, to the uh, you know, mid-20s in the first round, you know. Um, there is, there could be, and some analytics models project up to three franchise-level players uh, in this draft alone, which most drafts, a good draft, will give you two. Um, and these these are analytic models, so they take a lot of things into account that, you know, might, uh, you know, might not translate when it comes to actual basketball, but, so, yeah, so I think it's a pretty strong draft. I think it's one of those drafts that we're going to look back on in um, a number of years and be like, hey, that's, 
a lot of good players came out of that. I mean, I heard a stat yesterday uh, that uh, the hit rate on rotation players uh, is 17% after the 17th pick. Mm. And by that meaning, after three years in the league, you still maintain a rotation player. So, you know, making it into the NBA is hard. Making it making it uh, through through the draft process is hard. And then sticking and, and being a, a rotational player in the league, is, it's very hard. If that number is accurate, which I believe it to be, it just gives you a great, great idea how, you know, hard this, this science is in drafting. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Nordo. And most importantly, thank all of you for listening. Back at it tomorrow when we rise and shine at 9. Bye.